Bang Oi Folk Mob Day. What's going on, everyone? My name is Hurley, an American that's lived in Vietnam for eight years. I started out as an English teacher, but slowly progressed into YouTube, made my way onto Vietnamese television, and even cameoed in a movie. Nowadays, I'm still making YouTube content, but I'm really focused on teaching Vietnamese through my Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook accounts. For anyone that's interested in learning the language, or even Vietnamese that were born abroad and didn't get a good upbringing with the language, Hopefully my lessons can bring that to you, but I'm honored to be on the podcast. Thank you for having me, Kenneth, and uh, yeah, let's get it started. Welcome to The Vietnamese. I'm your host, Kenneth Nguyen. Being part of a culture of nearly 100 million Vietnamese people in the world today comes with a lot of pain, proud history, and privilege. Join me as I highlight and explore the Vietnamese experience from all over. I was born and raised in Florida, uh, New Smyrna Beach area, went to University of Central Florida, graduated, uh, worked in a bar because I ended up not wanting to work in my major. And the idea came up to teach English abroad. And at first, you know, I really liked working in the bar and I said, I don't want to give this up. I worked my way from doing the door to busing to even bartending. You know, to me, I was making good money, but I kept thinking about it. And I said, you know what? If I'm ever going to do it, I'm 26. I better do it now. Uh, looked at Spain, Italy, Korea, Japan, and then Southeast Asia came up. And after comparing all the countries, it seemed like Vietnam was the best option. So in 2014, I took part in a TESOL program, which we spent two weeks in Cambodia training. And then from there, we branched off to the country that we chose. Mine was Vietnam. The intention was one year, but a lot of things happened in that one year. And you know, eight years later, I was still teaching English there. So tell me what it was like for you when you first landed in Vietnam. Oh, it was amazing. Uh, I'm going to be honest. My first time out of the country, 26 years old, I go to Thailand, got food poisoning, enjoyed the country. <clears throat> but there were a lot of parts that, you know, weren't my favorite in terms of living. Went to Malaysia, didn't get the best reception from people. Don't know why. Uh, Cambodia was a little not too comfortable for living again, but each one of these places was a month, a week, two weeks. And when I got to Vietnam, I took a bus from Cambodia. I got off. I believe the first dish I had was Hu Thieu. And I was on the tree-lined streets of Alventons, you know, next to the uh, War Museum. And that area was so nice compared to the places I'd been in. And I said, wow, I'm so excited to live here, to work here. I'm glad I chose this place and it just got better over time. Wow. It's interesting that the other countries, you know, didn't really do it for you. And there's a connection in Vietnam. And especially, yeah. I know that street, uh, the Vavangtang street, where all the Hutu shops are on, right? Mm-hmm. So there's, there's plenty of things there and things have changed since I went there, but there's just so many good spots to start out. You know, it's almost like... Um, uh, a good place to integrate in. And then from there you can expand out because to be honest, if you go up to Thunban where I live with my wife's family, you start out there. I don't want to say it's rough, but it's different because you are one of the only foreigners in the area. Yeah. I mean, other than it being different for a foreigner, what makes something like Thunban, a place like Thunban different from a place like the Hutu street that you're talking about? Uh, I, I want to say, I don't, modernize isn't the word I want to use, but it is more developed. The District 3 area looks almost like a, a classic neighborhood in America, whereas in Thunban, it, it's a little bit more rough. And that's, it's hard to say because I've been to many places in Vietnam that are much rougher than Thunban, but it, it's more of what you would expect from, let's say, a Southeast Asian city. You know, everything's more cramped in, um, when I moved there, Favan High Street, which my wife's family lives on, was dirt. It was under construction. So everything was just a bit more rough. Whereas uh, Valvantan and Chungden and that whole area there, just tree-lined streets, nice fancy shops, uh, just a bit of a contrast. But it was a good place to spend the first month in Vietnam. Yeah, and I bring this stuff up because I think a lot of the kids that are growing up in the U.S. or, you know, other places in Germany or France and Australia, sometimes we get this sort of like idea that Vietnam is perhaps just villages and maybe they're cities or within Vietnam. But there are so many nuances 
in the differences of where, I mean, in a city like Saigon, you could be in on one street and you go about 20, 30 minutes to another street or another neighborhood, and it is very different. It's no different than a city in, in the United States. It's not uh, all the same, very different Agreed. vibes. And I, I, you know, have to admit my ignorance before I moved to Vietnam. I knew nothing about Vietnam, knew nothing about Vietnamese food. I thought the same thing. I thought it was underdeveloped. There was a chance I would be teaching in a hut out in the yeah. village and be living, you know, going to the bathroom outside. You know, that's what I had in my mind. And I was prepared for that. Then I got there and I, I looked around the first morning I woke up. I said, wow, I'm just glad I chose this because this is not Cambodia. Cambodia was a mm -hmm. bit rougher. Yeah, there's so much money in Vietnam. It's unbelievable the amount of money that you see when once you're integrated into the city. Mm -hmm. you, you, you just yeah, you just can't. It's more affluent than many parts of the United States in mm -hmm. L.A. You know, there's people that are living very well. You go into their homes and it's just like their lives are just so much better than our lives. And I make that comparison. I've been to Bangkok a few times and Bangkok looks more developed from the skyline. They have more high rises and it looks like a bigger, more modern city. But on the street level, Saigon is uh, much more livable, much more developed, in my opinion, whereas street level in Bangkok is still yeah. a bit not third world, but, you know, not exactly first world, if you will. And, and there's some some magic to to Saigon and Hanoi when you're in the cities these two cities and even Hoi An and Da Nang, the feeling that you get, you know, it's different. Like Bangkok is, you know, has its own thing, but really in Saigon, when you're in these tree line neighborhoods and, and you see the architecture and you see the blend of, of the, all this history, it's a magical place for me. Completely agree. And that's why I only lived in Saigon. I could have taught anywhere in the country but I never moved out. I've been to Hanoi like six times and I do appreciate it for what it is, but man, I never wanted to leave that city. I love that yeah. city. So what were some of the things you grew up knowing about the history of Vietnam? And then the second part of that question is obviously what changed, what kind of perceptions you came out of after eight years being there? Yeah, that's a good question. And I've brought this up to different people uh, throughout my time there. I think back to 12th grade in high school. I graduated in 2005. And the last lesson in our history book was the start of the war with Vietnam and how they attacked us in the Gulf of Tonkin. And then that's all I knew wow. other than what my dad told me. But my dad was very honest about it, how we weren't able as Americans to defeat, you know, the Vietnamese, if you will. And, you know, my dad, he was I believe it was 17 when the war ended. So in terms of my family, we didn't have any involvement in that as in someone fighting over there. But, you know, outside of that, I didn't know much about it. And moving to Vietnam in Vought Van Thun, they have the war museum. I get to go see the war museum, find out the history from the other side, and then also read a lot of books with it. And Man, it really has changed my opinion on the American involvement in that in general. Um, seeing, you know, victims of Agent Orange, seeing uh, just different things that, you know, have affected people's opinions of America simply because of that, you know, it makes me really reconsider the idea of like uh, the patriotism in that sense. You know, it's like, well, yeah, of course you support your country and everything else, but did we really have to go over there and all of that? So it, it has made me rethink a lot of my um, positions on things like that. Yeah, but then you come back here and you got to probably deal with the different, well, I don't know if you live in a Vietnamese heavy community, but if you come to, yeah, little Saigon, that perception is very different as well, right? So when That's you're at the War Museum, there's a, a, a specific way that, the artifacts are presented, the, the facts are presented, and then you come back uh, to a place like Little Saigon and it's different too. And then you talk to, yeah, general, you know, American population, it's a whole nother. So there's all these like pieces to the elephant, right? Like you have a blindfold on, you're touching like the leg, you touch the tail, and it's like all different narratives that we really have to sit and dissect and really break these things down because otherwise we're just looking at it from just one aspect, which is not enough. 
Yeah, it goes very deep too. And I have different aspects in terms of uh, my family, whereas, um, you know, my wife's family is from Haifa. When my wife was born in Saigon and uh, one of her aunts, she has many aunts and uncles. One of her aunts um, was part of the boat people, spent time in Malaysia, Indonesia, and now lives in Canada. And I've seen, I've had friends uh, from Germany and from France that were Viet Q that came back and their parents were in similar situations. So I've seen uh, different perspectives of how things played out through that. And like I said, it's so much different from when I actually moved over and what I knew because my dad was not even 18 when it all ended. So I get what he knew about it, but that's pretty much it. And I can remember maybe two Vietnamese classmates in my high school. So I didn't even know much about the Vietnamese culture in that sense when I was growing up. So yeah. And and your wife is not from the States, right? She like no, no, she no. didn't have family. She's had no she, this is her first time. This the end of 2022 is her first time ever coming to America. Wow. So you got to witness somebody from Vietnam coming to the United States with a different lens than the typical kids like me that were born in the United States in 1975, you know, it it was beautiful. And I I explained it to her, like why I was excited for it was that it's the same thing for me coming to Vietnam. Mm -hmm. Everything was new every single day. I would see something that I'd never seen before. And then she came here and the same thing. It's just, everything's just brand new. She goes, Hey, can we go to Walmart? I said, yeah, I need to go to Walmart. She's like, I saw it on TikTok. I want to check it out. I'm like, yeah, let's go. And that that right there was just so cool to see like her in the frozen food aisle. Like, you guys got a lot of stuff here. Like, this is cool. How how did you meet your wife? Uh, So she lived right next to where I was teaching. We had some mutual friends. They introduced us. We started dating back in 2016. And uh, it was funny because... You know, in America, we are used to meeting the in-laws right before marriage. You don't meet them till the end. <laughs> Vietnam is not the case. I met her mom after the first couple dates. I dropped her off. She's like, come meet my mom. I'm like, does your mom speak English? And then I had to practice some Vietnamese. And back then it was not that good. Um, but that was the beautiful thing about it was that meeting her mom really pushed me to the point where right after I got a private tutor. And I put wow. in two good years of studying with her before I started my YouTube channel. And then the YouTube channel helped me realize what I'd already learned and how much more I needed to learn. And yeah, so I always thank her family for giving me the push to learn Vietnamese. Because if I never met my wife, if I didn't find love in Vietnam, if you will, then chances are I probably wouldn't have learned more than a couple phrases. But she was the motivation. And she was also the person who said, hey, why don't you start a YouTube channel? You speak Vietnamese. You know so much about the culture. You can present it in a funny way. Just go for it. And I said, all right, we'll, we'll go. And then within four months, it went viral. And here we are four years later. So wait, the first four months, you what kind of videos were you doing? Um, <clears throat> my talent, which if you want to call it a talent, my talent is I can eat anything. I'm not afraid to eat anything. And I said, I'm going to make eating videos at the beginning. One is one part is testing my Vietnamese. I'm going to have conversations with Vietnamese. Second part is I'm going to eat the craziest things, but I'm going to do it in a way that no one's ever done it. So are you familiar with uh Kondung Yue, coconut Kondung worms? Yue. Yes, yeah. I am. Benchea. So yeah, I've eaten those and you know, people eat those, you know, they're scary, but anybody can really eat them. But I said, I can't find a video of someone letting it bite their lip before they eat it. (laughs) So my first video, besides the intro video, was holding it up to my lip, letting it bite my lip, and then having to pull it off and then eating it. And then uh, maybe the fourth video, you you familiar with Mam Tom? Okay. And foreigners never like Mam Tom. I'm not a fan of it. Let's break down. What what, what is Mam Tom? Let's break it down, though, for the audience. Fermented shrimp paste. The purple stinky fermented shrimp paste and you know for vietnamese a lot love it some don't but for foreigners most foreigners i meet do not like it very salty i said well it's not that exciting if i eat but if i drink a whole bowl of it that's exciting so the last video before i went viral i'm eating and i'm i'm explaining the whole dish that you know the boon and the tofu and everything else 
And then I go, well, let's try it out. And I ended up drinking two bowls in the video and it was just the roughest experience. In another video, I went down to Meita uh, to eat uh, snake meat. But again, anybody can eat snake meat. So I told the lady, oh, and then I'm holding a live snake while I'm eating snake meat by myself filming on a GoPro down in Meita. So those were the beginning videos. I was like, I have to do something over the top. So this is the talent, trying to figure out what is over the top, right? Exactly. So that's harrowing. even though, you know, some people would say that's just dumb, but other people are like, wow, I've never seen anyone do that before. And I said, yeah, that's, that's the whole point. I mean, you could die uh, from drinking that fermented because the salt <laughs> content will just ruin your, will wreck your liver. Thank you. Thank you for letting me know years later that I get a check. But yes, I, I completely, uh, completely agree. And I did it one more, one more time for a music video. Not as much, but it doesn't get any better. Wow. So, and I, um, I, I'm guessing that you apply this sort of talent uh, to the idea of teaching Vietnamese idioms to the world, because, you know, you're not just breaking things down in a normal way, but you're really bringing there's some sexualized content, but not, you know, not explicit, but it's fun. It's fun, mm -hmm. sexualized content. Like I saw the one on Cuba. That shit was funny. You know, it's very yeah. innovative, right? The way you present that. Thank you. And and that's why I'm so confident in my lessons, whereas I've gone four months without missing a day. I've put up one word or one phrase every day for four months, grown exponentially on Instagram because of it. But I'm so confident because I have a story, like a real true story from my experience to back up all of these, how I learned the word, where it came from, you know, and um, each one I, I I come out with, it's almost like reminiscing, like, ah, like the Cuba that was teaching in 2014 before I knew any Vietnamese. And this kid just smirk on his face. It's just <laughs> like, yeah, it's my dad's dick. And I'm like, what? I don't know how to discipline him or anything. And I asked the, the Vietnamese teacher after I'm like, what does that mean? And she explains and I, I never forgot that. So I knew one day if I ever taught Vietnamese, that would have to come out. And, and that's a cool thing about content creation, right? It's like so many people that I've interviewed have this sort of background in the field that they're putting online. I mean, it sounds like, uh, you know, it sounds uh, very uh, logical, but at the same time, the beauty of remembering and keeping these memories of the experience that you went through and then pairing them up with lessons is the genius part. Yes, I agree. And I tell this, people ask me all the time, I want to be a content creator. I want to make things for YouTube or Instagram, whatever. I say, let me tell you first, if you want to do it in the long term, you have to pick something that you like to do. Longevity is the key and you cannot have longevity doing something you hate. It's like going to an office job when you have an option to do something else, but you choose to sit in the office because that's just what you choose to do. You have to do something that you're passionate about. And that's why I, I consider myself a comedian, not a stand-up comedian, but to the point where I like to make people laugh and I've been able to do that in many different ways. So for me to create jokes about the knowledge that I've acquired over the last eight years, it just comes natural. And it's something I could do for many years. You know, I've been uh, interviewing uh, com Vietnamese comedians that come from the Instagram or TikTok space, you know, with millions of followers. And it is a crossover that they've been all, you know, giving their best effort. And it's a very different form of making people laugh, right? Because when you do Instagram, or TikTok, it's a it's a formula, but mm -hmm. it's not the same sort of delivery system that you get with stand up comedy. But have you ever considered getting into stand up comedy? I've considered it, but I'm not. I don't feel very passionate about it. Yeah, I think I could get a couple good skits, and of course, it would maybe not turn out as well because my first couple times, I think I get a couple good skits. But in terms of writing jokes like that, I love watching stand up, but I don't think I would be as passionate about it. I like when it when a joke, you know, for example, this week I had a bap chui and bop chui and just in my head, I'm just going through words and that connection came up and I go, oh, that's going to be a good one. Okay. I'll film that tomorrow night, you know, and something I can control 
and I can get the reaction from the audience. And there's been, I think, two lessons where I was wrong on the meeting and that's fine. So I just delete those and go back. But, you know, if you bomb on some stand-up skits, it doesn't, you know, it's not, it's not as easily corrected, if you will. So I, I like being in control of the medium yeah. and just keeping a consistent pace and keep going. And, you know, I always, this is a true story is, you know, I told my brother-in-law who I'm, you know, living with right now, but I told him, I said, Hey, if I do this YouTube, which your sister's telling me to do, I guarantee you, I'm going to be one of the most famous foreigners in Vietnam. Like I'm going to go so hard that everyone's going to know my name. They might not all like me, which is fine. You can never have any, everyone like you, but everyone's going to know my name. And I just kept trying to like for that, um, the first two months of making the channel, I, I wore my Aoyai uh, from my wedding, went to Bintan market and just wished everybody happy new year and talk with Vietnamese. And I got like 6,000 views and I'm like, all right, we're on a roll. We got this. And then I talked to my friend um, who actually moved over there at the same time as me. We were in the same Tesla program. And he said, man, you got to do something so crazy that people have to notice. And we talked it over and I'm not, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the chicken video from four years ago. No, I'm not. Okay. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to give you a quick summary and this is where everything came from. So we come up with this idea is like, well, what if you buy a traditional Vietnamese outfit, but you don't realize it's a girl's outfit. <laughs> okay. All right. That sounds good. But you get a pet, but you don't realize it's not actually a traditional pet. Okay. Well, we need a story behind it. All right. And then we got to have a plot twist and, I, I go to Chet Phan Van Hai next to my wife's house and, you know, my poor wife, she's grew up there and now she's too embarrassed to go back. Um, so I buy women's pajamas thinking it's a traditional Vietnamese outfit. And I change right in the market and I'm wearing my bike helmet as Vietnamese do everywhere they go. And then I go in the back and I buy a chicken because I see people in my alleys doing cockfighting. They have the gacha. I'm like, oh, I'm going to get a cockfighting chicken. So I buy this baby hen. It's like this big and it's really gamai. And then I go around and I try, I put it on a leash and I go around Saigon and I, I actually try to cockfight people that have those gachoy. And they're like, that is a hen. I'm like, it'll <laughs> still kill your chicken. You don't know what it is. And then I tell people I got a chicken because dogs get stolen in Saigon and I don't want to go through that. So no one's going to steal my chicken. And then it goes all these little skits all the way to the end. And then the last scene, I tie it up outside my house. My sister-in-law comes out and gets it and she kills it and cooks it and brings it to me on a plate. And I cry at the end. So that, that video blew up. I was on the national news that night before I even released the video. People took pictures of me on Saigon. And then from there, it just sky. I had 50,000 subscribers in one month and then it just went up from there. So typically when uh, Americans come to any place in the world, there's a lot of cultural insensitivity right because mm. they just don't know and you know when you come from a place where you know there's no other countries other than the north is canada and the south is mexico and a lot of americans don't travel out they're not paying attention to all the nuances how do you know when you've crossed the line in a skit or some portrayal or something how do you check that that's a good question and I had this discussion with some reporters in Vietnam and I told them, I said, you know what, if I did this whole video, but didn't speak any Vietnamese, that would look very bad. You know, I would just look like, mm. you know, a hole trying to make fun of Vietnamese and what they do. But what shocked everybody is that I had conversations in Vietnamese mm. with everyone along the way. And uh, the second one, I, I told my wife as well, you know, she was very embarrassed because all her friends sent her the pictures and stuff because it went viral before the video was even made. And I said, you know what, honestly, I, I'll, I'll, if this video comes out and I get like 30 to 40% dislikes, I will stop. I will not go that far anymore. I will realize people don't like it. And to this day, I, I could check right now, but I still believe it's 99% like to dislike on that video and most every other video. I don't think I've ever gone below 97%. So I use that as a gauge. You know, it's enough people watching. That video's got over a million views on my YouTube. People re-uploaded on Facebook. Um, it is a good question, like on how far I could go before it's too insensitive. But 
every time I've done something, I've the only backlash I really had, which actually I'm talking about in a lesson this week. Um, I was on a TV show called Nyep Yat, we told uh, two years ago on VTV3. And the idea is six foreigners, two celebrity or two Vietnamese hosts, one celebrity guest discussing controversial issues with our culture's perspective versus Vietnamese. Mm. And the idea of dog meat came up and the way I shared my opinion on it made some people mad. I got some hate messages, but I think that's the worst backlash I've received out of all of it. But that was, you know, oh, what? Let, let's talk about it. this is one of my favorite topics to talk about. So okay. what was your position on it? So they ask us, and after living in Vietnam for a long time, you know, seeing how you can get cat and dog delivered to your house <laughs> in Hanoi off of Foodie and having a dog meat restaurant on my street in Saigon, seeing a dog carcass every day that I drive to work. Okay. I said, look, this goes to the chicken one too. I said, look, even though, and you know, I try to do this in my best Vietnamese, but I didn't realize how Dao Duk yeah is such a strong word in Vietnamese, hypocrite. Um, I said, even though I'm not someone who eats dog meat, I will say that meat is meat. If you eat any kind of meat, you have no position to criticize someone for eating another kind of meat because you are responsible for the deaths of thousands of chickens, pigs, and cows and ducks your whole life. And then I go, I'm a person who had a pet chicken and it was stolen and eaten in front of me. So what is your pet dog any different? Because pigs are actually smarter than dogs. I said, so you know what? Anybody that does that, you have the option to be vegan or vegetarian. It's readily available, but you don't do it. You still choose to kill so many animals. So you're basically, now look, yeah. And people took it like I just called everyone that eats meat and not dog meat a hypocrite. So that was the backlash. But I mean, I'm realistic where it's like, yeah, I don't support it. I know a lot of them are stolen, but it's also hypocritical for me because every day, I've eaten meat for 35 years. How many animals have died because I've chosen not to be a vegetarian? I mean, that's so, I'm just realistic with it. So but. the question is, have you, have you ever eaten dog meat? Yes. And now, you, I didn't go to the store to buy it. Uh, it's actually... <laughs> delivered off a person, foodie? There's one person in my wife's family who uh, eats it, and it's a, or her oldest brother. And when we're dating, he invites me over to sing karaoke. And uh, I was like, you know what? Yeah, you got to go. It's my, my girlfriend. You know, this is a Vietnamese brother. Him and all his friends, they don't speak English. I got to make sure I put on a good show, use my Vietnamese. So we're singing karaoke. We're eating goat meat. They have the big jar with the cobra in it. Not like this, like the big jar with the cobra. <laughs> we're drinking the snake wine. They even had seahorse wine, which tastes like Jaeger. They had little seahorses in it. And then he like slides a plate over to me and he's like, the jaw and how I'm like, well, I can't look like a pussy in front of my <laughs> girlfriend's older brother. It's already cooked. It's already bought. Yeah, I guess I'll try it out and then try a piece. And it's really not that good, you know, so I don't get the hype behind it, but you know, it's, it's something I'm not going to sit there and hide behind. I would never make a YouTube video doing it, you know, but um, on the flip side, I have a dog and uh, we got him in Vietnam and they do steal dogs a lot in Vietnam and uh, it's our biggest fear. So we had to potty train him inside, even though he's a six pound poodle, you could get maybe a bun me out of him. But <laughs> what they do is they drive by with a basket, they scoop them up. And then they bring a ransom note to your door and you got to pay a couple hundred dollars. My next door neighbor, her chihuahua gets stolen, ransom note, pays, gets it back. They stole it again and they charged her more the second time. <laughs> so we knew we got to keep the little guy inside. So I've seen both sides of the coin and, you know, it is what it is. If you want to make change, you got to make change at the source. You got to go and get the restaurants banned in the country until then, like, don't be just criticizing people for eating it, you know? Yeah, and it goes back to this sort of like, for me, how could cultures corner and trap other cultures into making them think that whatever they're doing is wrong? Some things are, are blatantly wrong, but like we go back to this idea of meat is meat, right? And I get that dogs are 
almost sentient, right? They're, I, mm -hmm. I don't know what the, a better word. They're just, they're man's best friend. And, but let's think about like the, the many countries that eat dog meat, you know, Korea, China, Vietnam, and even Northern Thailand, Indonesia. North, yeah. I've had friends that ate it there. Like it's, it's and, a lot of places, a lot of places. And I mean, it's almost like, I, I think for me, it's like, for me, it's sort of like this national pride. It's not about even dog eating dogs, right? For me, it's sort of like this idea of how could we force our our American ideology, our Western views on countries that have been doing this for hundreds of years. And it's, again, we go back to that logical meat is meat and people eat pigs and that's just the only problem that the really because the, i i own dogs and i you know have dogs and of course i yeah so i i still grapple with this idea of being pressured to perform to fit another culture standard and yeah. you know i'm american i'm american born but when i go back to vietnam i just want to respect the way that they've been doing things for hundreds of years and i don't want to i don't want to touch that i don't want to put my judgment on another culture yeah you know, that's how i feel about it no and and that's a big thing um salim that's another foreigner that was on that show with me and in that discussion he said you know there's a billion people or however many uh muslims he's muslim in the world that don't eat dog and i said how many people in india don't eat cow mm -hmm. but we eat burgers every day like yeah. yes there's a group of people that don't but we're not gonna tell those indian people they have to eat cows, cows. or the muslim population they have to eat pig. pigs you yeah. eat what you eat and whatever so i i get the i get the connection and people get very emotional over it and i'm not sharing posts about it and everything and would never make a youtube video but again i try to be as realistic as possible and like you said, meat is meat. We could all be vegetarian. There are plenty of plant-based options these days, home delivery, everything, but we don't do it. So, you know, that was going back to the original question. I made, I already filmed the lesson for this week on my Instagram, but that's what I, I learned what the cancel culture is like, where you cannot, you know, you have to be careful what you say, because that, that look, yeah, is very strong. And, Outside of that, my wife has stopped me a couple of times. She's my cultural guide, if you will. I mean, literally and figuratively, where she always reviews my videos and she'll say, stop, do not upload that, take that out. And I, I go, oh, it's funny. She says, nope, do not. Mm -hmm. So I've literally refrained from getting myself canceled quite a few times because my wife has stopped me from doing it. Yeah, because I have seen a lot of your uh, videos and I think that you have this side to you where it's very sensitive you know there's a, a warmth to it and i think the warmth is sort of your secret sauce really i mean you're, you're a really warm guy now talking to you for for this time and you know seeing it comes through the video but there's another side to where you know you have to be very culturally sensitive or you could come off as making fun of another mm -hmm. culture because you're not from that culture originally of right? course and, in the beginning and, the only hate comments i got were uh, about me wearing the non-la in, in my picture. And, you know, my wife's family gave me that, you know, they, they had me wear an Aoyai, you know, for the wedding and they, you know, bought me all this. So to me, I, I wanted to use my um, platform. This isn't the main purpose, but it is one of the targets. One of the goals It's like, look, there's a difference between cultural appropriation and cultural appreciation. Right. Okay. Now, if I did all this in America and I never lived in Vietnam, and even if I spoke Vietnamese, it would still be kind of weird yeah. to me. Mm -hmm. I'll admit that. But I lived in Vietnam to the point where coming back to America's culture shock to the point of like having conversations with Americans is, is culture shock. You know, my wife had one yell. Uh, on Chung Sa for many years, I think it's two or three years while we were dating, transitioning into marriage. I was there every single night. And this is up in Thunban. So all these old guys, you know, uh, as they say on Instagram, the uh, too high, they all drunk coming up and they all want to introduce, they all want to talk to me. And once they hear me speak Vietnamese, they want to talk more. And that went on for years. So I just feel Sometimes I feel more Vietnamese mm -hmm. than American, and I'm not trying to 
change my race, change my citizenship. It's not that. It's just like literally You're I've connected. lived with my wife's family for four years, like all Vietnamese. COVID lockdown in Vietnam, three months in 2021, it's me, my wife, her sister, my nephew, older brother, nieces, all in the same house, locked in there, get out once a week to go to the grocery store for months. And you better believe like eating Vietnamese food, speaking Vietnamese all day, like it changed my whole perspective, you know, to what, where I'm just, I feel more Vietnamese in some senses. What does your family think of your journey? Uh, unless they're hiding it very well, I think they're very proud. Mm -hmm. I, you know, my, my brother-in-law, my mother-in-law, they share my stuff nearly oh, every day on the phone. No, I, I mean your, your American family. Oh, 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 oh. I say proud, but also um, selfish to where they want me back. You know, my mom's like, oh, that's great. That's great. I just, I wish you would just live in America because, you know, we want to be close to you. We're not getting any younger. And, you know, but I, I say overall, for the most part, proud, you know, um, they share their video, my videos with their friends. They say, oh, my, you know, my son's on TV in Vietnam and all this. Um, yeah, I think, I think they're, they're very proud. And it's also helped them culturally to meet my wife for the first time and, you know, get to learn about Vietnamese culture and she's cooked for them and everything. So I think it's been good. So you've moved back here to the United States, right? That's it. It's a very subjective way of saying it. Okay. So I came back because my wife got her green card. All right. And that is a whole story in itself. It took three and a half years because of COVID. Um, she got her green card. So she had to come check in. Right. And then right now, we are helping her brother. Uh, he's in Kentucky. He has two nail salons here. You know, perfect place for an American speaking Vietnamese, the translator in the nail salon. But um, we're helping him out because he's about to go back to Vietnam for the first time in four years. And we're going to run the nail salons while he's gone. But I have the five-year visa and my plan is to go back and forth. I went back in November over Thanksgiving. I filmed four TV shows and then I was going to go back this month, but this is when he actually chose to go back because uh, I had another TV show to do. But yeah, the plan is now to go back and forth. I just want to make sure that if something like COVID happens again, monkeypox, whatever else, and there's a lockdown, you know, she couldn't leave Vietnam and come to America. I could, but I wasn't going to leave her there and not yeah. know when I could come back. So that really struck a chord with me where it's like, wow, you know, this is that lockdown in 2021, at least in Saigon was brutal. I mean, literally three months in the house, one ticket for once a week to go to the grocery store for one person to go out and do that. And then in the house and the military brought food to the door. They come by everyone come like, I almost forgot like the, the idea of the freedom of Americans where they can refuse some things. I don't know how COVID was here, but you know, I have video where they come to the door, they knock on the door in their hazmat suits. Every person, all the kids, everyone comes out in COVID tests right there. No questions. And that was regular. And you think about America, like police come to your door, like everybody outside right now, COVID tests. You go, I'm not going outside. Mm -hmm. You know, so that that whole experience just made me want to make sure she had the option. Like, obviously, I would love for her to get citizenship and however many years it takes, but she had the option to get out in case something like that happened. What went on during those years, COVID, inside of your mind as it related to being locked in with Vietnamese people, uh, you know, your wife, and these are family members to you now, but what goes on in your mind? Like, I mean, there's so many different interactions that you have to deal with as you're i mean even if you were locked in you know with a bunch of american white americans you know there's an experience that comes out of that but i want to know what it was like for somebody like you to be to really be isolated with a handful of people that are vietnamese and was there like any phoenix that came out of the ashes for you mentally emotionally what kind of changes went through your heart and soul as you went through those years okay uh, to sum it up, I, I will say like I'm someone that gets along with most people and that especially applies to my wife's family. I, I can't imagine and I, I, I hate to say this um, on my videos because 
you know, I don't want to like act like I'm talking down to people, but I really cannot imagine being a part of her family and not speaking Vietnamese. Mm. As I'm going back to when I met her mom and started getting a tutor, I cannot imagine all this time I've spent with them and just being like, ciao, Camun, Camun, hang up, lie. I can't imagine that. And that time together, it brought me much closer to them. Like, you know, my sister-in-law in Vietnam, like we're like best buds in, in the most, like I never had a sister. So she's my sister. And then my other sister-in-law, like we, we are best buds, you know? And um, honestly, I use that time for the most positive I could, you know, the time of being the family honestly did not bother me. It was a great test for the marriage because I don't feel like we had any serious mm -hmm. arguments or anything. We had our new puppy, so play with him. But I, I used that time to get sponsorships for my channel, to edit videos, to read books, to exercise. I got dumbbells right before the lockdown, got them shipped. Like, yeah, I, I really can't share anything too negative about our personal situation in the house because it really wasn't. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like, and like I said before, they might be hiding it very well, but I feel like her family like truly accepts me and loves me because I'm the only foreigner in the family. But not only do I speak Vietnamese to talk to them on a daily basis, speak enough Vietnamese, but I've also feel like I've made them proud because, you know, to see her mom talk about like me and Quyen Lin on a TV show or me and Chung Yang out in the jungles on Hai Nghe Mo Dem, like... I feel like they're very happy with what I've done and being around me is not a burden. It's, I don't want to say a blessing, but you know, I, I spend, I went from that to now, you know, living with the brother-in-law and my sister-in-law and the nephew here, my wife, and we spend 24 hours a day together in the nail salon to here every single day. It's not a problem. So I, I feel like I got very lucky with my situation. And yes, that whole lockdown was, you know, stressful for what it was, but in terms of my family and where I was, I was still teaching online and making a little bit of a salary reduction in hours and salary. But yeah, it was, I made the best out of it. Now this whole nail uh, shop experience, do you find it um, awkward when you have nail techs that are speaking in Vietnamese, but I mean, just like any culture, I, I can imagine, you know, we talk shit, right? In any culture, we talk shit about people who don't understand what we're saying. We do that. Yeah. Everybody does that. But you're in a weird situation because you have a different look, but you are one of your family's people and you speak the language. Now, when you hear the nail techs talk shit or get out of line, is it awkward for you? Do you put your foot down and correct them? No. No, I, I find it. I find it funny. I come from working in a bar and a restaurant my whole life. So kitchen staff talking about whoever, even the servers, like, I think it's hilarious. And just today, a lady called and she's like, well, I want this nail tech to do my feet again next time. I go, okay, who are you with? She's like, I don't remember the name, but she was Asian. And I said, ma'am, I am the only non-Asian at the salon and I don't do feet. So you're not narrowing it down very well. Did she have black hair? And like, I just go along with it. And, and it, it's so funny because here in Kentucky, like these ladies, they'll look at me and they go, you're not from around here, are you? I go, oh, no, man, no, not at all. And, uh, you know, they, they hear me cause I just speak Vietnamese with all the nail techs and they, they just, it, it's the most baffling look. Cause they're like, are you guys speaking Chinese or Vietnamese? What are y'all speaking? And it's, it's been that, funny, but yeah, no, in that sense, like I will say, I feel like Vietnamese in America, they, they know it by you, hun, oh, Vietnam, yeah, because sure. you don't really worry about losing face here in Vietnam. You can't go out and say bad words on the street regularly without losing face in front of the community here. It's like, everybody just threw that out the window. I've never heard that, you know, I'm not going to cuss on your podcast, but I've never heard that many, even at the one yell. Yeah, and that's a words. very that's a very interesting uh, observation because if you're in Kentucky, you're not in Orange County. You're in mm -hmm. Kentucky. You're isolated. There's maybe 20, 30 of you around town, but every day you're dealing with just four or five people in the in the shop or ten people in the shop. So really, nobody gives a shit at that yeah. point. Nobody like I it's. See it. I don't know how it is. I mean, 
I I, uh, I I'm hooked up with a uh, sup dog when he was in Vietnam, and I know how him and some of the other channels are out in California and their catchphrases. But yeah, I mean, I can't imagine being. I've never been in California, but being in Little Saigon, I'd be interested to see if it changes because I haven't been. Other than Atlanta, when I stopped in the grocery store, which was really cool to Hong Kong, um, I haven't been in a big Vietnamese community outside of Vietnam yet. You ever coming out to Orange County? I really want to. Are you familiar with uh, Fobosa? The yeah. news? Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. Uh, and London, he he invited London. me out to come and make some videos because we've made quite a few videos in Vietnam together. And uh, I want to. And I was going to actually around Thanksgiving and I ended up going back to Vietnam for some TV shows. But uh I would love to. Now, in Vietnam, the ecosystem, the world of uh, entertainment, there's a few white guys that do speak Vietnamese. Do you know any of these guys? In Vietnam. Yeah, in Vietnam. Yes. I, I feel like I know all of them. <laughs> I, I'm I'm the networker where in the beginning, I, I tried to connect with everybody and I did a lot of collaborations. And if there's anyone that has a name in Vietnam that is known, foreigner speaking Vietnamese, I know them to some can, extent. Can you give me the top three, top five? Some people are not going to like that answer, but um, I, I'll go through my history with it real quick. Uh, I first commented on Vietnam meets Dustin and we met up and we did some really good collabs, millions of views. And then uh, Nam Den, Nigerian from Afroviet TV. And then uh, CJ and I did a boxing video when he came down. And then Chris Lewis actually applied to be my editor when he started his YouTube channel and then he blew up, went past me, uh, Max McFarlane and I met up. We did a bunch of videos. Uh, Mika, I was on her podcast. Um, Salim, we filmed a video up in Hanoi and uh, let's see, Hang Somtai, um, Lily and all them. I've made a few videos with them. Um, I don't want to forget anybody. Uh, but yeah, that's, I mean, if you go on you'll see most of the foreigners that speak Vietnamese and I've hung now, out or am friends with most of them. Now, what do you think is the driving mechanism that makes Americans or foreigners understand and speak Vietnamese well enough to get to where you are? What do you think are, because not everybody can do this, right? Not everybody can pick up the tonality of Vietnamese. It's complicated. Even kids that are born, again, in the United States from Vietnamese parents have issues with the pronunciation or the receiving of the tonality of, of a very nuanced language. What do you think goes on in the minds of all the foreigners that can do this very well? Um, I, I think a lot of it is motivation. Okay. So for example, Lily has a Vietnamese husband. Mm. CJ has a Vietnamese wife. Chris has a Vietnamese girlfriend. Max has a Vietnamese girlfriend. Dustin has a Vietnamese girlfriend. Nam has a Vietnamese girl. Like I, I think love is the driving factor. I, I think it could be the chicken, motivation. the chicken, it could be the chicken or the egg, though, right? <clears throat> it could be could because be. they love the language so much. So I'm I guess I'm looking for an answer where um you know, are they musically trained or, you know, mm. some weird reason why you these know, foreigners get it? That's that's tough to say because everybody, you know, the cool thing about the community of foreigners making content in Vietnam is that um, everyone's has their own niche, their own specialty. Okay. And <clears throat> um, for example, Chris, he loves languages. He speaks fluent Chinese, fluent Vietnamese, mm. fluent Urdu, some Japanese, some Spanish, and he's only like 25. And, you know, his specialty is just doing languages. Uh, Max loves food, so he knows a lot of food-related vocabulary. CJ and Nam, they've been, and Salim, they've been there over 10 years. So, But I, I, I tell people this when they ask me, even Vietnamese in Vietnam that want to learn English, I think any language is possible. I think it just comes down to your motivation. And Chris explained this very well. He's like, if you want to do it, you can literally learn three words a day. Mm. And in one year, you know a thousand words. And if you know a thousand words in any language and you can say them correctly and put them into sentences, you can have a conversation with most people. So Chris was basically fluent in less than two years. And he was almost self-taught because he understands the IPA, the International Phonetic Alphabet, where he learns how to properly say the sound. 
And then he will sit in a cafe on his afternoon and study his language that he's trying to learn. Taught himself Urdu before he even went to Pakistan. And now he's like a hero in Pakistan. Like it, it really comes down to your motivation. And I saw it as an English teacher. My students that want to learn English over the eight years of being my student, they progressed quite well. And then I felt so bad because I had some kids that were like eight. And when they're 15 in IELTS class with me, their English is still horrible because they never paid attention. They never cared. Even though they sat through seven years of English class, didn't matter. So yes, maybe the music, maybe a certain type of memory helps. But I, I really, I, I put it down. The love things is kind of a joke, but it's true. Yep. It comes down to motivation. A lot of foreigners live in Vietnam. They don't need to learn English. So they are not English, they're Vietnamese, Vietnamese. So they don't, they don't try. I know guys that live there 12, 15 years, have a Vietnamese wife, have half Vietnamese kids, and they did, can't speak any Vietnamese. They just never saw it as important yeah. enough. So I think motivation, because the resources are there. It's not a clicking language that's rare in Africa. It's the resources are there. If you want to learn, you can learn. What do you think are some of the things that the Vietnamese culture informs the world now you mean through what they do or who they are what they do uh, what they represent what is the culture spending eight years in vietnam now what do you think that we the vietnamese people has informed the world about man i i'm gonna say the first thing that comes to my mind and that is the family values i mean i am so blown away. Whereas at 17, you know, I graduated high school at 17. I was just in such a rush to get out and live on my own and have my own place and just have my freedom. Whereas in Vietnam, mm -hmm. that family stays together until you get married. Yeah. After you get married, take it from my experience, after you get married, you still live with the family. And I think a lot of the America, I can't speak for other countries. I've been to a lot of other countries and spent time there, but I think America lacks a lot of family values these days. And, you know, part of that is one issue. Part of that's another, that's a whole nother podcast, but I think Vietnamese and how tight they are in the family, it bleeds out into the community where I feel like their community is much stronger than ours in America. And yeah, I, I I will use that as my answer. Just that's a that's values. a great that's a great answer. And I think there's a root cause to this difference in the United States. I don't remember when it happened, but there's a marketing guru back in the '60s. I get the year wrong. Don't quote me on the year, but there was somebody at the very top of government who said, "If we want to spur the economy, we need to break up the nuclear family and make it at 18." You need to move out. You need to be, quote unquote, independent. So then we're, as we're breaking up the family unit, we have these satellite divisions of our family members out there making more money for, for the economy. And it was like, this is when, you know, home ownership and we want to push automobiles and we want to push consumer goods and we want to push buying things. We needed to break the, the family up so they can go out and be quote unquote independent. That cycle has trickled down to present modern day America. And I think that is really the corrosive uh, start of what we see versus this tight family unit in Vietnam. Now, however, that could happen in Vietnam as well because why not, right? Mm -hmm. If you're some corporate overlord, you know, I'm not the conspiracy theorist, but if you want to really get this get this uh, economic machine going, you got to get everybody on their own and break up the family unit so they can buy more homes, they can have their own cars, and they don't have to share things. And I think that's the next iteration of Vietnam in a very horrific way. Yeah, and I've never heard that before, but it makes complete sense. Um, it, it's sad to me because, you know, I just feel like, the family is, you know, you, I'm a big believer in nurture versus nature, where if you're brought up in a loving family and taught the right values, yes. that you're going to be a better person later in the world. Of course, they're outcasts. Of course, there are people that are going to be psychos and everything. But I think that is just such a solid foundation for people to have. And on that note of going into Vietnam, 
I saw it in the changes and since I've been there in terms of the diet, okay? Asians are known to be thinner, to be not as obese as their American counterparts. But in the time I was there, a lot of fast food restaurants opened. Now they're everywhere. There used to be just one McDonald's Mm -hmm. and then now they're everywhere. And I, I watch my students over the years and there's some big kids and you don't expect that from, you know, Asian in general, but in my Vietnamese what I what I was used to when I got there, you don't expect that with the six-year-old kid that's just a blimp. And it all comes down to, oh, there's a guy out in front of their school selling cotton candy and another guy out there selling chips. And they're all drinking Red Bull and Sting at six, seven years mm-hmm. old. And they're drinking soda. And, you know, you can slowly see that Western processed food obesity crisis getting over there. I've always joked about, oh, Fook Mop. I didn't choose the name. It was given to me. But, you know, I that's a big fear of mine is to get severely obese in my life. Like that's, you know, so to see it start young, I know when it happens with kids, it's a dangerous, slippery, slippery slope that's hard to come out of if you have no background in exercise and nutrition. So, yeah, that's yeah. one thing that, that worries me about Vietnam. I should have started with uh, the question, how did you get the name Fukmap? But we'll end on this question. Okay, that's fine. Uh, it's a perfect story. And <clears throat> I have a lot of um, a lot of things to thank my buddy Eric for, who again, he's the guy that was in my Tesla program who helped me come up with the chicken video. We both taught at the same language center and all this, but in 2015, it was that 2015, we go to central Vietnam and we take a road trip from Hoi An up to Hue on the Haivan Pass. And we, he, at the time, he chose the name Phuc Bao. It should be like Phuc Bao, but he just picked two names and put them together. Mm-hmm. So he's Phuc Bao. I didn't have a Vietnamese name yet. And we have a picture with this lady, but we met this little lady selling drinks on the Haivan Pass. And she looked and she said, you're Phuc Bao. <laughs> you must be Phuc Bao. And I was like, what is Bayo? She goes, it means fat. And I'm like, oh, okay, I'm Fook Bayo. And I came back to Saigon and they said, ah, Fook Mop. And I said, okay. And that name, I just ran with it, you know. And even before the YouTube, I introduced myself to Vietnamese as Fook Mop. And then when I started the YouTube, Gak Bang, Oi, Fook Mop. They mm. just became the intro. My wife, my old landlord, my boss, everybody calls me Fook Mop. I have it tattooed on my side now. Like it is my name. And yeah, I feel like it just happened because it was meant to happen. You know, I saw your name as Brandon. I mean, I don't know how many people know that. And you don't look like a Brandon to me. You look like a Fook Mop to me. It's crazy, okay. right? Thank you so much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it's, it's funny, the progression is where Brandon's my name. And I grew up and in high school, half my friends called me Brandon. Half of them called me Hurley, my last name. When I moved to University of Central Florida, I said, I'm just going to introduce myself as Hurley because you only know one Hurley. You know, they, you know that guy Hurley? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's not, oh, you know the guy Brandon? There's plenty of them. But going to Vietnam, I felt I got a lot more respect from Vietnamese people, even with limited Vietnamese, when I introduced myself as Bookmap. Wow. That's cool. It's just such a cool. Thank you so much for coming on today, man. Uh, I, you know, appreciate the work that you do. And, you know, I've learned a lot from the breakdowns that you do, you know, the, 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 the terms and the phrases that you uh, take time to, to explain. And I love the, the angles that you take and uh, appreciate your work, man. Well, thank you so much. I, I'm really happy to be on here. You know, just the fact that you have me on this podcast, you know, that uh, foreigner that's hoping to be, basically the ambassador of Vietnamese culture from a foreigner's perspective. Um, I, I will finish with, you know, everything I've done in Vietnam. Um, you talked about the sensitivity of some issues. I just look at it as like, Hey, I've become so ingrained in that culture where everything I share, I want to bring a positive light to Vietnam and Vietnamese culture. People ask me about negative things over there. I'm sure there are negative things, negative things in history, but my job is to be the ambassador of 
great things about Vietnam from food, language, places to go, the people, everything else. So hopefully I can continue doing that through my social media platforms. And hopefully I can help husbands and wives of Vietnamese to learn more about the language and get a better connection with their Vietnamese family. Wow. That's so wonderful to hear that. It touches my heart because you're, it's a good, you're a good man for, for, you, for that way of looking at, you know, this, we, we, you know, I thank you so much. There's no other way to, 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 to approach, you know, this cultural sensitivity other than, you know what, I'm not going to lay on the negative side. I'm going to really work to show how great the, the culture is. And I agree with that. And I love the mission. I love that work. Thank you so much again. Yeah. Thank you again for having me on too much negativity in the world. We need people spreading the positivity about different things. So I look forward to seeing this podcast when it comes out. And again, please keep up with the lessons on Instagram because I'm going to go until I run out of words. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Thank you, sir.